The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again and again and again that you are a God who speaks, and a God who uh, understands us, and a God who um, speaks to us in a way that we can understand. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us the tools to understand you, to um, interact with you, to know you. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us uh, this morning and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, We are in the third week of the Lectio course, a course about the uh, ancient practice and ancient method of reading Scripture. A lot of us... um, Read, as, read it like a textbook. Read as much as we can. We wanted to get through it in a year and, um, or two years or whatever it is. We read it for the information. Lectio Divina is the, is the, um, is the method, the ancient method. And, and it really understands the Bible not as a text to be studied, but a conversation to be enjoyed. And, uh, and which will, of course, be informative. Uh, the app... A lot of you have downloaded the app called Lectio 365, and uh, I use it just about every day, and I really, uh, I really love it, and I, I commend it to you. Um, it is a... Jeff loves it, too. Yeah, Jeff likes it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he said Lectio, Mom. He said Lectio. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a great app. Uh, and uh, just really helps shape my, my devotions uh, on a daily and, uh, basis, both in the morning and the evening, uh, which I had never really been an evening devotion kind of person, but I fall asleep uh, listening to them most, most nights. Um, so, this, so last week we looked at Lectio, the, the, uh, the first of the four steps, reading. Uh, this week is Meditatio. It's an interesting video. Uh, he does something that I think is a little bit weird. Just take it for the, uh, the illustration that, that it is, and, uh, and we'll see what you have to, um, to say about that. Uh, he, this is England, I'm almost certain. Uh, his church, he has, uh, he's the senior pastor of a church called Emmaus, the Emmaus Road Church. And he is... Um, that church has a few different locations, as churches do sometimes. Uh, but I think the headquarters is in Woking, which is right just a little bit west of London. So I'm pretty sure. I mean, he could get anywhere, I guess, pretty easily. But it's, I'm pretty sure it's in, in England. Um, Psalm 19:14, a very familiar passage. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is your experience or your reaction when we talk about meditation? Positive, negative, indifferent, curious, exuberant. What, what's your reaction? I don't always think of, I think of an Eastern religion. Eastern religions, yeah. So not really positive, probably. Yeah. You're not alone by any means. Meditation is communication. Meditation is communication. Focus. Focus. Still. Being still and know that I am God, yeah. Well, I mean, just the act of being still is hard for some of us. <laughs> Anyone in particular? Did you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yeah, still in your body, but also still in your mind. Yeah, still in your mind. Very hard for me. I've often said I'm not a very good prayer, and that's what I mean. I start. I, I close my eyes to pray, and I'm. All over the place. I'm in a com. I'm reliving that conversation. You know. Um. For sure, for sure, for sure. So this actually helps having somebody read my devotion to me while I'm reading it on the app. That really, I find that helpful. Meditation is. Uh, I, I think what he has to say. I think his illustration is weird, but I think his. Uh, I think uh, what he has to say about meditation uh, is quite good. So I hope that you will uh, enjoy enjoy this. Jesus himself, 
who quotes Moses telling Satan that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. On another occasion, God instructed Joshua to keep this book of the law always on your lips, to meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word translated meditate here is hagar, which literally means to moan or ponder or muse. There's a sense here of ruminating, like a, a cow chewing the cud. So how very practically do we do that? How on earth are we to chew upon God's word in this kind of way? Well, I want to offer three keys to biblical meditation. Interruption, intuition, and imagination. Firstly, biblical meditation means embracing interruption. It means slowing down, taking your time. In one of the very best books on Lectio Divina, Michael Casey says that the first requirement is patience. We have to slow down, he says, our intellectual metabolism to stop expecting to find quick and easy solutions. For a number of years, I read several chapters of the Bible every single morning, aiming to complete the whole thing in a single year. But in all honesty, some days, I was just so desperate to get it done, I couldn't recall a single thing I just read afterwards. I began to crave a slower, deeper, more reflective approach. What would it be like, I wondered, instead of reading the Bible in one year, to read a single book of the Bible in a year, or even a single chapter? This is a question that Bernard of Clairvaux would have endorsed more than 800 years ago. As leader of the Cistercian Order, his life was busy, establishing dozens of monasteries, including this one, Waverley Abbey, where this yew tree is. And yet we know that Bernard of Clairvaux still allowed himself to be interrupted regularly by God's word. In fact, he preached no fewer than 43 sermons on a single book of the Bible, Song of Songs, eight of which unpacked just his first 10 words. Clearly, he didn't just read the text, he meditated upon its message deeply. And this leads us to the next key to meditation. After interruption comes intuition. Having been interrupted by the text, Bernard wasn't afraid to explore its implications subjectively beyond its most obvious rational meaning. One of the simplest ways I find to do this is to pay close attention to any particular word or phrase that just captures my attention, even if I don't yet know why. And then as I explore that word or phrase in my mind, wondering why has it attracted me, a train of thoughts may well be triggered that can leave me talking to the Lord or scribbling in my journal for ages. Such apparent bunny trails have often led me into fresh revelation and deeper times of prayer. Thirdly, having slowed down to embrace interruption, having exercised my intuition, it's time to apply my imagination to the text. 
the cartoonist Bill Waterson, creator of Calvin and Hobbes, once said that the only way I can keep writing every day, year after year, is to cultivate a kind of mental playfulness. I love that. Mental playfulness is a great way of describing the role of imagination in meditating upon scripture, seeking to hear God's voice with our hearts as well as our heads. And we all do this when we watch a film or read a novel, but then when we approach the greatest library of stories ever told, weirdly, we tend to switch off our imaginations completely. Maybe this is because we know how wild our imaginations can be. So we're nervous of embellishing or distorting God's truth. But surely, the God who spoke to Moses through a bush, and to Balaam through a donkey, and to King Belshazzar through graffiti at a party, must be willing and able to speak to me through the quirkiness and even the brokenness of my own imagination. One particularly effective way of activating my imagination with the Bible is to apply all five of my senses to the text. For example, um, if I was to take a story of Jesus from the Gospels, like the one of him riding into Jerusalem, and ask, what am I actually seeing here? And then I might ask, what am I hearing? Am I tasting or smelling anything? What am I feeling? And as I ask those questions, I start to visualize blue sky and notice uh, maybe a fly buzzing around the donkey's head. And I hear the roar of the crowd and that soft thudding noise of the hooves on the road. So gradually, this overly familiar story comes alive. When we apply imagination and intuition to the Bible, we create space for God to speak to our hearts as well as our heads in ways that may sometimes surprise us. And so with all this talk about meditation, imagination, intuition, it's time to introduce today's special guest. Dr. Mara Klemek is an Australian-Italian clinical and forensic neuropsychologist who's worked in hospitals, in businesses, and even in courts advising murder trials. She's a fascinating person who can help us understand the ways in which God speaks through intuition, imagination, and the unconscious realm. It's so great to have you here. Help us understand how does the brain hear God and how can we get better at it from your professional mm. perspective? I think it's really interesting when you actually see the makeup of the brain. There's a particular part of our brain called the limbic system. And the important thing about it is that it's our repository for memories, emotions, emotional memory, empathy, Wow. and imagination. That part of the brain encodes our memories and emotions, but its language is metaphor and symbolism. And if you think about how Jesus taught, over and over and over, he used symbolism and metaphor through parables to bypass our logic and, and really get into our heart. So for us to be able to um, understand the deeper 
elements of the word and the scriptures, we need to imagine in some ways a reality that might not be here yet. So for us with our limbic system, the positive side of that is that because its language is symbolism and metaphor, it bypasses a lot of our lang language and logic, which are another part of the brain. Okay. They work together, but when we read scripture, for instance, we will read it partly with our logic, because we're actually reading words. But if we give it a bit of time to process, that then takes us into the, li the limbic needs to be spoken to from the, the logic to say, well, what is this emotion that this word, what does this word mean? What does it mean to me mm -hmm. in my history, in my previous experiences? And so the limbic then brings up emotions, it brings up memories, it brings up um, the ability to imagine or have empathy. I, I suspect some people watching this will go, I just wanted to know it was okay to use all my, you know, imagination when I come to the text and I'll find it very easy. But others, I think, will find this very tough because their paradigm is logic can be trusted, the imagination mm. is dangerous, mm. it can lead you into difficult places. Maybe we're scared of applying imagination, self-reference, our own experiences to the text. I think if we go to those three keys, the first one is interruption. And I think that there's, there's an element of time that we need to give when we're reading the text, reading scripture, to just allow the, the, the logic part to read it, because that's where our, our language is, but then just give it a few moments to allow it to sink in, mm -hmm. to allow the limbic system to start accessing past memories, past experiences. The second part is intuition. If we can then at this point read the text and um, maybe even just starting to work on what is what is my heart saying about this text. Yeah. But it's then going back to, to God, Lord, what do you want me, what do you want to tell me, show me, let me hear from you about this text? Yeah. And then maybe asking another question, Lord, what's happening for me as I read this text? And so then that can take us to that final part, that imagination. Imagination, yeah. And I think that's where, when you've really sat on, on the word, we've, we've really just had that quiet space to, to meditate on it. Then we use that metaphorical question, what's it like for me, Lord, as I contemplate this? What's it like? What is happening for me in my body? Yes. Because we are kind of triune, aren't we? We yes. body, mind and, and spirit. Those three, I think, very much work together. Obviously, the spirit needs to be our, our core truth teller where we take everything. But those mind, the mind, the will and emotions and our body can also be ways of communicating with God and God communicates to us in those ways as well. Just, just one more time, help us understand how the logical aspects of, of, of applying you know, rational you know, rigor to the text fit together with imagination. Just reassure us that it's okay to do this and we're not gonna get into weirdness. The thing is that logic and emotions are not mutually exclusive in the human. They, they, they live together. They're, they're actually, they're not like this. They're like this. Well, Mara, this has been so enlightening. I've actually found it very reassuring. Focusing on the brain has helped me to understand that obviously I need to use all that God's given me 
in understanding his voice. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. In today's session, we've covered a lot of ground. Firstly, we established that Christian meditation is a necessary and biblical approach to the Bible. And you may remember I had a few pages to illustrate the point. Secondly, I clarified that Christian meditation is not about emptying our minds, but rather filling them with truth and focusing our thoughts upon Jesus. Thirdly, I gave you those three practical pointers for meditating on scripture, interruption, intuition, and imagination. And then, of course, we've just heard from Mara Clemming. I, it was such a fascinating and moving conversation. Uh, I was so struck about really how she demystified meditation and helped me understand it's really just to do with different bits of my brain working together. And that actually to properly find truth in scripture, I must use not just the logical and linguistic parts of my brain, but that limbic region with imagination and memory and so on. In our next session, we'll be learning how to turn our meditation upon God's word into a conversation with God himself. If you've ever struggled to know what to say when you pray, next time, it's going to be really helpful. So let's just finish, shall we, with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that your word is not just a textbook, but it is something that we can taste and bring into our very beings to shape our lives. Thank you that through this course you're bringing the Bible to life. Please continue to speak to us and teach us to hear your voice. Amen. So this is the uh, book that he wrote called How to Hear God, and then there's the uh, app. That's what those two things. Now he's the author of that, How to Hear God? Yeah. Yeah, he's the author of How to Hear God. Um, I appreciate that he's not continually selling it. I've not actually read that book yet. But, um, so what, what did you find helpful or challenging about it's, it's not exactly new age like I or the, the yeah. religion. I feel better about that. Not exactly new age, which I I, I, I mean that's a really I'm I'm with you. I, that's that's uh, something to, to think about and to and to really consider. Yeah, Larry. I didn't know you could actually eat the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Never no, something swallowed. I, I wondered, yeah, is and like is that actually a uh, is that his, actually his yeah, uh huh. Or maybe it's like a fruit. It was, I was wondering, is that a fruit roll up or is that, yeah? I told you that was strange. It was a little bit, a little bit weird. But, um, but the the point is, is well taken. I mean, we have that wonderful collect that, um, uh, in the in our from our book Common Prayer uh, that you've caused all scripture to be, uh, to be. Um, 
was it George for our learning all scripture to be no I know but it says you cause all scripture to be given for our learning help us so to read mark learn and inwardly digest um, and, and I, I think that uh, it, that is something to be uh, again please don't eat your Bible but um, uh, but it is something that we ingest and, and that's why we take communion too to uh, Martin Luther said communion, uh, the Eucharist, is a sermon in your mouth. I mean, there's this uh, sense in which which God, uh, not, I mean, it is, it's, it's, it is a means of grace transferred to us, the, the body of Christ by faith, uh, that we take it into ourselves and we align him, ourselves physically with his sacrifice. But the, the word of God is the same, and Jesus, of course, is the word of God incarnate. What else was challenging or interesting about? The thing I always heard that the one, you know, the main negative against meditation was, I don't think it's safe to just try to empty your mind. That could be like, you know, an invitation to, you know, different things entering. But I liked how he said, or she said, excuse me, Mara said, it's you empty your mind and you fill it with the word. Yes. It's a very purposeful type of thing, whereas we think of meditation in a willy nilly. Empty your mind. You know, mm-hmm. See where you go. Mm-hmm. Well, I can go anywhere. So, it's and I, for me, it'd be purposeful. And I don't trust myself. No. Yeah, like I, I mean, I, I, um, I definitely believe that I'm very capable, very quickly, of going into dark or unwanted places uh, in my imagination. But I think this is. It has to be focused. Uh, in fact, that was, uh, that was big for me. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that too, Sissy. I like the imagination part. When we read any book, it, you know, Engages. we use our imagination yeah. mm-hmm. with the story or whatever's being told. And it said uh, that you can have sort of a uh, playfulness about it. Um, but then that we see God in our hearts as well as our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, like that. I, I, I also like to think that uh, it was it's helpful to remember that God gave us the facility of imagination I mean it is broken uh, in us like everything else but it is also redeemed and and, I mean the truth is the weird truth is we talk about our hearts so much and there's a sense in which we actually feel it and yet this is just a muscle that pumps blood the 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 thing the seat of our emotions and is actually in our brain which is both logic and and emotion so that's that's if we can get them to work together that's Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Well, a very good way to to uh, to practice that make practical what you're reading is to put yourself in the story. Because mm-hmm. uh-huh. otherwise, how do you understand how it's going to work for you? Right. Yeah. Put yourself in the story. How otherwise? How do you understand? I mean, I think that there is. Uh, the, something we have to be careful of is making it all about ourselves. And, and, and uh, we can do that whether we put ourselves in a story or, or not. But I think there is some sense in which God meets us in the transfer of His Word, not in us grasping exactly what it looked like as if we were watching a news broadcast, you know, something like that. All right, so we're going to... Um, this is really good and really helpful. We want to read through Luke 15, 1 through 10. might be a little bit long... Um, they act, he actually wanted us to do the parable of, the, of um, the prodigal son, which comes right after this, which is twice as long as this, um, 
to get through it four times, we may not get there. But let's let's uh, read through it uh, slowly and listen for what God uh, might, what word or phrase God might um, jump out, have jump out to you. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and Coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not Light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel over one sinner who repents. What's a word or a phrase? Sinners. Sinners. Joy. Joy. Hands down. Yeah. I just could picture when I was reading it that when I slip and fall and I'm lost, Jesus carried me over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, I would ask uh, Deacon Beth, will you read us uh, read it again and we'll uh, meditate this time. And You want to uh, smell the sheep and s- hear the broom and, the, um, and see the dust and the lamp being lit and hear the sounds of rejoicing. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. The Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Four 
What woman, who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The word I hear is joy. Think of how very much that one sheep is loved and how much it means to him. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I noticed that it's not a lamb. That a lamb, the shepherd comes skipping back into town. Look, I thought this is a sheep. And it is a lot of work to carry that sheep. Finally, he's exhausted as he gets, his back is aching. And yet, he is delighted to have done the work. I think that it's that joy in heaven, you know, and that it's joy in the presence of God's angels that just reminding us that you know, the, the cloud of witnesses, like cheering us on, you know, it's not just we get so focused on on me, like I'm kind of it done, like that all of heaven, like God and his angels, like they're they're rejoicing and they're uh, enjoying the presence of God's angels over heaven. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, maybe because I'm selfish or whatever, but uh, I found that the, the lost sheep, I kind of uh, focus more on the sheep or like what a child would feel like when they're lost in a Walmart and how they would feel once they were united with their parent in the same way I would feel like, you know, if I was a sheep and all of a sudden I look, I'm like, wait, I don't know where I'm at, where's all my friends, where's all my family? And then somebody came out and actually grabbed me out of the darkness and brought me back. Yeah, yeah, the joy of seeing that face pop over the edge of the cliff, right? You know, just... He, he came for me. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, outsiders, how much they're loved. Um, this sheep was not with the group. He was outside of it. And yet, um, God valued him. Or the shepherd valued him. So if you're different or unique in some way. God loves you. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. And also, sheep being herd animals, they haven't gone looking for the lost one. They're with the rest going, hey, everything's fine. It's the shepherd who notices and goes after the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. Not his yeah, the sheep's not, yeah, that's a good point. The sheep aren't the ones going after, it's the shepherd. Yeah. I think of them as the legalists. He wandered away, mm-hmm. you know. We have all those thoughts. We are, we're scared. We care. We think, why did they do it? You know. Anyway. 
No, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's the coins that, that were not lost, the sheep that were not lost. They're the Pharisees, you know, right? That that uh, are just like that stupid sheep. He's always. He's always getting like the big brother. And 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 we are invited actually to turn away from that and rejoice alongside the angels. Yeah. All right. Let's. The weight of that sheep is the weight of our, as individuals, and our brokenness and problems mm-hmm. and then that. So it's God turned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's read the passage again, and, and we want to um, allow some space between the words and sentences to, for us to just kind of popcorn prayer as God allows us uh, and brings those prayers to our hearts. Who would, who would read that slowly and allow that space? Connie. <clears throat> All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Lord, I often find myself complaining and sometimes complaining about what you're doing that I don't understand. So he told them this parable. What man among you has had a hundred sheep and loses one of them? Does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Like no one leaves the 99. <laughs> and yet you do. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Pray that the sheep that is found is thankful. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes we're not. Lord, get us eyes and hearts to get out of the way of our own busyness to see those who are who are gone away from the ninety-nine and have the heart to love and run towards them to rescue. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Lord, which of us does not need repentance? Help us to realize our need for repentance and ask your forgiveness and mercy. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Mm 
When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. Help us, Lord, to be joyful with those who are joyful, mm -hmm. and not jealous or envious of their success. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I'm going to do a little different, opposite approach. It will come back to us. What if he didn't find the sheep? And the lady didn't find the coin. How would he feel then? Sorry. <clears throat> and so we can sort of see how he feels when we don't repent, when we are lost. Mm. He's feeling the hurt and the loss. Help us to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who are in distress. Continue to shoulder what he can for us and light a lamp for those that are lost. So I'm going to read the text one final time. And just ask you to um, ask the question as we go, what is the one thing from this passage I'm going to take into my week? Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or, what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, 
saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Lord, help me to show compassion and mercy to your people the same way that you have shown compassion and mercy to me. Help me to not take judgment upon myself, for that is your job and not mine. Help me to treat all people the way that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yep, Susie. There's a thing in the emergency medicine is referred to as triage, and it means to sort. Mm -hmm. And during multiple casualties, you tag people with different colors so that you know who gets treated first. This sheep would be would be tagged as a black death, not worth working for it. and that is in complete opposition to what we see in this case yeah i just cut my losses and wait till mating season right i mean that's yeah yeah a green tag's worth saving a black tag is not like time is money mm -hmm. why should i spend the time to go get that one yeah i need to be here tending yeah, that's right what's here yeah <clears throat> And I'm struck by the fact that we are the, the lost sheep and we're in the 99. Like, we're, we, we can we play both roles. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm just also struck that Jesus didn't answer the Pharisees with, you know, well, let me tell you why I'm right about this and about my, you know, like, he, he's so wise in how he answers. You know, like, he says, let me tell you this parable. You know, like, let, and I think that there's with such wisdom in just how he, how he interacted with opposition like that, um, mm -hmm. to help them to understand and put themselves in a picture that, um, I just think there's such wisdom in just the whole, the whole way. Sure. We're going to let that be the last word. Let me say this. Uh, so we're, when we switch our morning schedule in the, in the summer, um, we'll, we'll not have rectors for them throughout the summer. But if there are some among you who just want to get together and have Bible study, that's great. Like, we'll give you a key, you know, so, and show you how to make the coffee. So, that is, no ma'am. No ma'am. You have to make your BYOB. Yeah. All right, God bless you, and y'all go on to church, unless you've already been to church. You can come back. <laughs>